Well, hey, uh, guys, thanks for coming today. I'm so glad that you're here. I hope that you're glad that you're here. Um, today, we, we kick off uh, actually part one of our series uh, called Truths That Set You Free. Uh, last week, I introduced the series, and um, I, as you saw in the video, we, we talked about self-deception. You guys know that self-deception is, a, is actually a dangerous sin. We get uh, deceived by ourselves. We get deceived by sin. We get deceived by Satan. Uh, but the only way to overcome that deception is by the truth. Um, and we can even be deceived by our own trials. How many of you guys have ever gone through a trial before? Now, I'm not talking about a court case. I'm talking about life trials, right? You've gone through a life trial. Maybe you're in one now. I don't know. But you've gone through them, and uh, maybe you've gotten confused by them. You didn't understand, why in the world am I going through this? Why am I experiencing uh, this particular difficulty? And if we don't understand our trial, or if we don't learn from it, um, we can actually uh, feel defeated and and hopeless and get angry, and that becomes a a, a chain or a shackle in our life that holds us back from being all that God wants us to be. Uh, Today, we're going to be learning some truths that set us free. Now, uh, you guys have heard of the Apostle Paul, right? Okay. The Apostle Paul wrote several of the, of the books in the New Testament. And of all the books that he wrote, we call them letters, um, one of them is 2 Corinthians. And of all the letters that he wrote, 2 Corinthians is probably Paul's fullest disclosure of his personal life. He gets, he gets more personal and exposes himself about who he is and about his journey of faith and about his walk with, with Jesus. He talks about his, his ups and downs of ministry and how God disciplined him and matured him through the process. And so it's pretty cool to read the Second Corinthians and see how, God, uh, how Paul exposes um, how God has grown him. Now, I want you to know this, that the things that Paul talks about and all through the entire book, uh, especially with these trials... He's talking about these trials not because he's been a disobedient servant. In fact, Paul experienced trials because of his obedience. You guys with me so far? He was obedient to God. He was faithful to God. He listened to the call of God. And so he just tried to walk with with God and do what he said, and he experienced some suffering. In fact, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And so he's fellowshipping with the sufferings of Christ, as he talks about in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Now, we're going to look here in chapter 1 as, as it opens up, and you think it's kind of a weird way, when you read a letter, somebody is opening up with a letter of like, oh man, we've gone through some serious hardcore trials, but that's how he opens up to the church at Corinth. So check this out with me. In verse number 3, we're going to skip the first two verses for the salutation, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we're comforted, it is for your comfort which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia." 
that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not, be, we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who, would del- who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, He on whom we have set our hope, and He will yet deliver us. Amen. What a, what a powerful uh, uh, scripture here as Paul talks about suffering he's going through and how he handled it. Now, I'm going to be talking about in this sermon about trials, okay? Now, let me give a couple disclaimer about trials, and so you'll help, help us to understand the context here. Uh, when I say the word trial, um, I'm including in one category every word that he said, uh, afflictions and suffering and, and tribulation. I don't want to dissect each one of those words and say, well, this means that and that means that. I'm just going to lump some of them and say, these are all just what we just call trials of life. The other thing I'm referring to here or not referring to are the consequences of our own sin. Okay, I'm not talking about disobedience. Now, even though that God shows mercy, you guys know what I'm talking about? God shows mercy when you've actually slipped up and you've tripped up, right? Um, but this, in the context, he's talking about uh, trials that we go through uh, because, we're, because we're Jesus followers. Uh, we're, we're surrendered to the Lord Christ. We, we walk by faith. We, we stay as repentant as we know to be. We are obedient in serving God. We, we serve Him. We, we give faithfully and sacrificially. We use our, our spiritual gifts for God. We're living for Him. I mean, we're, we're in His Word. We're, we're worshiping Him. We witness for Him. We listen to His voice. We obey the call He puts on our life. And we're just following the Spirit of the Lord. We're, we're, we're as surrendered as we know to be. And so because of that surrender... We are going to experience trials as a Christian, if you guys follow me so far, okay? So within context, that's what we're going to be talking about primarily. Now, it's interesting because um, as, as Paul says this, there was another apostle by the name of Peter, and Peter talked about, he kind of put a differentiation. He says in 1 Peter 4, check this out, he said, Beloved, don't be surprised at your fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are what? You're blessed, because the Spirit of glory and God rests on you. Then he says this, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, evildoer, or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is a glorified God in this name. So even Peter here kind of differentiates, you know, okay, there's two types of sufferings. You, got to suffer, you can suffer because of your own disobedience to God and because you're sinning, or you're, there's, there's this other side of suffering which you're trying to live for God, and there's, there's difficulties that come in trying to be faithful to the Lord. Now, everyone in this room, you probably agree that all of us as believers, we go through some stuff, Right? We all go through stuff, and we, we, we live as, we, as obedient as we know to live, and sometimes we get off track. Sometimes maybe we stray from God, and then we come back to God, and, and then I, I tell you this, and it's happened to me before, you, you get back on track with God, and all of a sudden, man, you get bombarded with trials, right? It's just like this Satan is like, no, no, I don't want you to stay close to God. I'm going to do everything I can to keep you from God. That's when trials come. I was thinking about the apostles. And the apostles, as you know, were attacked, they were 
arrested. Uh, we know 10 of the apostles, um, they were martyred. Uh, one apostle, John, he actually was thrown in prison. He died in prison for following Jesus. We look at the apostle Paul. Most people don't know that Paul, at the end of his life, he was beheaded. Okay, But prior to that point, Paul went through some serious stuff. Paul was imprisoned. He was beaten numerous times, uh, stoned. He was shipwrecked a few times. He had uh, experienced raging rivers and floods. He experienced being robbed and, and, and sleep uh, deprived and dehydration and, and, and starvation and hypothermia. He goes through this list in chapter 11. He talks about all the stuff that he'd gone through by basically being a follower of Jesus. He went through all of that just to share the gospel. I got some great respect for Paul. Amen. Now, he talks about an experience. He, I think what he's trying to say is the worst experience he ever went through. In verse number 8, he doesn't go into details. He, he doesn't like, oh, here's all my problems and let me just give them all detail for you. He puts it in basically in a summary sentence. This is what he says. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. He's saying, listen, we had a major incident that went down. Uh, is that movie, you know, there's that movie that came out a few years ago, a series of unfortunate events, right? We had a series of unfortunate events. We, we had an unrelenting hardship that I can't even describe to you because it was so bad. You know, it's like that old saying, it was so bad. How bad was it, right? <laughs> it was so bad that we lost our will to live. We had no desire to go on. You know, have you guys ever been in a place like that? You felt like you had no desire to go on. You just like, man, I'm just going to give up. I cannot do this anymore. It drained you. It took all the life out of you. You lost all hope and you had no answers. Like, I don't even know why in the world that I'm actually going through this situation. And maybe, maybe your experience has been like Paul's experience. You were burdened excessively. You were beyond your strength. You despaired even of life. I think one version of it says that we were pressed out of measure. And when you think about being pressed out of measure, he's describing like being in a wine press. You know how a wine press works? You, you throw all the grapes in it, and then you pull down the hammer or the thing, and it squeezes the grapes and crushes the grapes. That's what Paul's saying. He's, man, we got to a place when we felt like crushed grapes. Every bit of life has been squeezed out of us. We had nothing left to give. Now, Many of us in this room, because we, we follow Jesus, we, we've experienced some Christian trials. Maybe it's a trial where because maybe we wear our Christian t-shirt at, at, at work or maybe we wear a cross around our neck, we maybe get blackballed at work. Maybe some of us in this room, you've experienced this. Because you've taken a stand for Jesus, you've been mocked by your own family. You have, you have been debated, you have been condescended, you've experienced the sufferings of Christ because you stand with Jesus. You've paid the price for your obedience. Some of you have maybe have suffered some big financial expenses for following Him. Maybe you've experienced some health problems. You've had an attack of Satan. I can testify to that. Maybe you've got a big pay cut. Maybe you're working for a company and you say, you know what? This company is unethical. This company is immoral. This company is ungodly. I am not going to work at this job anymore. So you quit the job and you end up having to take a pay cut. That's a suffering for Christ. 
Maybe you didn't get hired at a job because you refused maybe to work on Sundays. I mean, we can go on to a massive list and say all the reasons, and, but because of all that, because you are living for God, it has actually cost you. It costs to follow Jesus. Amen? Jesus talked about the cost of discipleship in the Gospels. Maybe your trials are not because you are personally acting wicked. Maybe it's not because that you're, you're sold out for Jesus or not sold out for Jesus. It's because maybe because you just live in a fallen world. Stuff happens in the world, doesn't it? Stuff happens. Uh, I'm not going to air my own laundry, but I just going to a little story. A couple of weeks ago, we had Easter. And this is not, oh, I feel sorry for Pastor Steve. I woke up, I got up that morning, I went to go get some, make some coffee, and then I'm just going to go over my message and meditate and pray. I walk into my kitchen, and there's water all on my floor in the kitchen on Easter morning. My sink was leaking, like a gallon every couple of hours. I was like, Lord, I don't have time for this. You know, I got stuff to do, man, right? I mean, so, you know, and those are just things that happen. Those are things that just happen. Car, cars wreck, cars break down, phones quit working, friends have a meltdown, they call us up, and, you know, you're dealing with that. People get sick, your pets get sick, your kids get sick, like, like Jeff talked about. Traffic jams, I mean, we can name it. Trials are going to happen. But here's the thing. When they happen, <clears throat> we must not be confused about them. Also, we shouldn't live... As a victim, we must break the chains of misconceptions of our trials and respond the right way to them. Now, I love this quote by Alan Redpath. I mean, some of you don't know who Alan Redpath is. Alan Redpath, was a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, a dead preacher. And some of, the, some of the old dead guys, they got the best quotes, man. So it's always awesome. Me and, and, and Brother Drew, we talk about some of those quotes. But, um, but he, this is what he said. Alan Redpath said this. He says, any of us who would be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ must expect uh, the buffetings uh, from within and from without, from our foes and from our friends, from Satan who would seek to attack on every possible quarter the man who is set upon being the best for God. Life is full of it. And the question that arises when the buffeting comes is, have I really got what it takes to stand them or have I become a spiritual casualty? The thing about all this is that we don't want to become a spiritual casualty because here's the thing. Trials are going to happen, right? They're going to come. We don't want to become a spiritual casualty. So today I'm going to talk about, as the second half of this sermon, I'm going to share three truths about trials that you need to know. Maybe you jot this down. Maybe you meditate on these this week. So here's number one. Trials are meant to be more than you can bear. Now I know what you're thinking. You say, oh, oh wait a second, Pastor. That's not what I've always been told. I've always been told that God will never give you more than you can bear. All right, let me say this. This statement, that statement is partially true. It's partially a lie, that statement of that God will never give you more than you can bear. Let me say it this way. It depends on the context. So it, as a believer in Jesus, it, that statement that God will never give you more than you can bear is true with temptation for sin. Here, I'm going to prove it. You go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul's writing to the same church. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So when he's talking about temptation to sin, He's talking to a Jesus follower. He says, listen, because you've been born again, because you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, God 
always gives you an out. He gives you an out. So you're faced with this big temptation, the one thing that Satan loves to push that button that always gets you, that always, you always want to like bend toward. He says, no, I'm going to give you an out, a way of escape. So God will not let you have more than you can bear when it comes to temptation to sin. You guys with me? But when it comes to trials, when it comes to tribulations, when it comes to afflictions and persecution, that statement is not always true. That's why I'm saying trials are meant to be more than you can bear. Now, stay with me. If you look back at verses 3 through 10, he tells us, we, we, Paul says, listen, let me tell you about God. God is a comforter. God is merciful. God is a deliverer. God is our resurrection in our life. God is our abundance. So he talks about this God. And so he's talking about, hey, listen, God in himself is able to bear our difficulties, okay? Now, all through Scripture, you can read this from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Revelation, the end, of the, the end of the book, and you'll find all this contrast. You see human will, you see the human self-life, you see the, the depravity of man, but then you've got, the, you got the contrast. God, who is holy, God is all-powerful, God has the ability to fix every issue that we have. Amen. So we have this constant contrast. Now, we understand... What he's saying here is that God would never give you more than He can bear. God would never give you more than He can bear. I want you to think about this. Think about Noah. Noah was, uh, you know, a faithful uh, man of God. And so God called him and says, Noah, the end of the world's coming. I'm going to send a flood. And I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to want you to build an ark. And I want you to do all these things. And, and so think about this. Noah and his seven members of his family had eight people on the ark. Anthropologists say there was about seven billion people alive in the days of Noah. Imagine that. Imagine being Noah and all of a sudden he is faced with the end of the world. And there's going to be seven billion people that are going to die. Do you think that's more than he could bear? Yeah. But it wasn't more than what God could bear. Amen? In fact, listen, your sins are more than you can bear, but they're not more than what God can bear because Jesus bore them on the cross. Amen? He bore them on the cross. So God, listen, God will never give you more than he can bear. And if some of you, you know, you've experienced the death of a loved one, you've been able to endure that because God has been able to bear it for you. God uses trials to show us that He is the best comforter. Amen. Sometimes people refuse to be comforted. Remind me of a story of, a, of an insurance guy 50 years ago was going door to door in the, in the rural south and he was asking people to buy insurance. And he walked up on this one particular house and he noticed that there was this old hound dog that was laying on the porch and he was moaning. And uh, he knocked on the door, and the dog would moan. Every time he knocked, the, the dog would moan. And uh, so a man came out and was talking to this insurance salesman. And uh, the whole time they talked, this dog just moaned. It just moaned all the time. And finally, the salesman said, listen, I said, I don't know what's wrong with your dog, but, you know, he just keeps moaning. He said, what's up with this dog? He goes, oh, he's laying on a nail. He's laying on a nail. He goes, yeah, there's a nail that's like, like poking him, and he's laying on it. He goes, well, why doesn't he get off of it? He said, it just hurts enough to complain about it. <laughs> sometimes sometimes we, we go through some afflictions and we just complain about it. And we don't, uh, we don't get off of that. And we don't allow God to actually heal us and comfort us. Amen. 
I'm reminded in Psalm 77, it says, In the day of my trouble, Asaph wrote, I sought the Lord. In the night my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. I was thinking about Jacob in the Old Testament. Genesis 37. Jacob refused to be comforted because of Joseph's death. 20 years later, in chapter 43, he says, I am bereaved for my children. I am bereaved, he said. He refused to be comforted. Maybe he didn't feel like he didn't deserve to be comforted because of all the mistakes that he made in his life. But he got to a point he didn't feel he had any comfort. He wasn't allowing God to actually comfort him. Now, this may sound really weird. But there may be some of you in this room, you're followers of Jesus, and you've been going through the stuff. I'm going to encourage you. Allow God to comfort you. Allow Him to do some healing in your life. Allow God to take the pain that you're trying to carry on your own. Amen. You need to allow God to come in and heal. You don't have to, to medicate. You don't have to inebriate. Listen, because God can comfort you and He can give you mercy. He's the Father of all mercies. He's the God of all comfort. Amen. So all trials are meant to be more than you can bear, but not more than what He can bear. Number two. Your healing is not just for you, but for others. Your healing is not just for you, but for others. Paul mentions here in the text, he talks about his affliction, that his affliction and, and comfort was for their comfort and it was for their salvation. And so part of the healing process and part of the dealing with some of the things that we go through is helping other people. So sometimes it helps if we've walked through their through their experience, we had a, a similar experience, or we walked in their shoes, we are able to help other people heal in their trials. As we've been comforted, we can comfort others. Amen, right? So we go through, maybe, maybe again, it's like, you know, maybe we walk through a bereavement, and uh, someone close to us has passed. But because we've walked through that bereavement, we can actually help someone else who has actually walked through that bereavement. But we have this relatability, and we go through it. We go through it so we can actually be a comfort to other people. I'm going to give you an example. You maybe have heard me tell this story. I know Angela told this story to the women's group on Friday night, and it's funny. She told him, she and I didn't talk about this. It's like I already had this in my sermon notes, and she talked about, this is so cool how God works. But in 2009 through 2011, for a little bit over two years, we lived in poverty. We're talking about extreme poverty. Okay? It was pretty bad. It's pretty tough. Now I'm not assuming, oh, feel sorry for me. No, listen, God led us to poverty. And I was going through it for several months. And I couldn't understand. I was like, what's going on here? I mean, I was being obedient to God. We were, we were tithing, and we weren't, we weren't like robbing God and, and having experience, all you know, the stuff that happens with that. We were doing what we were supposed to be doing. We were praying. I mean, we were living as obedient as we knew to be. And I remember several months into it, I can't give you the exact month, but I remember weeping. Angela was gone, and boys were gone to school, and I was at the house. I was weeping like a baby. And I said, Lord, what's going on? I don't understand why I'm going through this situation. And God says to me, the Spirit says to me, Steve, I'm letting you go through this so that you can be relatable. You need to go through this so you can understand poverty. And I realized that. I was like, wow, God, you put me in this trial to teach me not to be self-absorbed not to feel sorry for myself, but you, you were teaching me 
so that I can have comfort, I can bring comfort and compassion and healing to people who are going through the same exact thing. You guys with me? Sometimes God will let you go through that in order to teach you so that you can actually be a comfort to other people. You know, I was thinking about my marriage, or our marriage, it's not just mine. <laughs> but you know, uh, God raised our marriage from, de- from death. God restored it. And God, it's just like almost immediately, I mean, God started bringing couples to us. So to help them actually go through healing and restoration. And God still does that today with us. It isn't so we could be self-absorbed. No, it's so that God could use that situation and that trial and what we went through to help other people raise them up out of the ashes and out of dead marriages and dead lives so that God could give them hope and give them life. Amen. God can use you the same way. He'll take whatever trial you got and God can use it for good. Amen. Your healing is not just for you, but for others. Number three, and finally, the ultimate purpose of your trials is to have 100% faith in God and nothing else. When we experience a trial as a follower, we should learn. We should grow. We should mature. And in that maturity, we should accept the discipline of the Lord and training from God. I want you to know this, that comfort involves a cost. Comfort involves a cost. You guys ever heard of the school of hard knocks? You ever heard that? Yeah. Well, I think we've all attended that school. So, but see, you know, when you go to school, you're supposed to learn something, right? You're supposed to graduate and and say, okay, I learned this, I passed the test, and I'm ready to move on to the next level. God takes us through the school of hard knocks in our life so that we can learn and we can be trained, we can be disciplined. Jesus Christ had to do the same thing. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says, Although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 8. If we don't learn from those trials... God may take us back through another similar trial, maybe keep us in the same trial that we're in, not as a punishment, but as a place and a a purpose for further development. God is trying to grow us to a point to where we actually are not trusting ourselves, but we're trusting God who raises people from the dead. God uses those trials to destroy all confidence in our self, in our own flesh, and exchange it 100% for trusting in God who can raise the dead, like I just said. See, if we rely on our own flesh, if we're relying on our own self, what we're doing is this. We end up creating our our own God. We create maybe another God. We say, well, I'm going to rely on my money. I'm going to rely on my job. I'm going to rely on my friend. I'm going to rely on my spouse. I'm going to rely on this substance. I'm going to rely on this pleasure. And it happens is that we start to replace being comforted by God and trusting God where we're trusting ourselves and trusting whatever it is that we're actually making a God in our life. Even as Christians, sometimes as followers of Jesus, sometimes we, sometimes we get to a point and we start trusting ourselves. We say, well, I've been a Christian for a very long, very long time, and I've got all this Christian experience God, I got this trial. I don't need you. We may not say it verbally, but we may say it in our mind, say, I've got this. I'm experienced. Or maybe say, you know what? I'm a very strong prayer warrior. I can handle this. Whatever other reason. But the danger is, is that we trust ourselves 
rather than trusting God who raises the dead. Amen. Now, trials are going to come. And when they come, who are you going to trust? Amen. Trust God. Let me tell this little story. It's a really more of an illustration, not a story, but uh, maybe some of you, you grew up, uh, maybe uh, had a privilege of being a lifeguard at a, at a pool for the summer or something, maybe at the beach. And I was reading uh, and learning about uh, lifeguards and how they train them, and I learned that uh, they, they're trained how to handle with, you know, people that are drowning. And I learned as I was reading, something kind of was eye-opening to me, that lifeguards will will go into the water, but they'll wait for the right moment to actually rescue the person. And what they, and reason for that is because if the person is struggling and they, they, you know, they're just fighting for their life, if, you, if the lifeguard gets too close to them and they're still struggling like that, they can actually grab the lifeguard and pull the lifeguard down. So they have to wait for the right moment. They have to wait till this victim is at the end of their own strength. They're at the end of their own strength. They have no confidence left that they can actually rescue themselves. They are to the point of absolute weakness, and they are desperately need a Savior. I have found God to be the same way in the midst of trials, that there's been times when God was waiting for me to give up on my own self-dependence. God was waiting for me to, rest, to, for me to, to stop uh, trusting myself. God was waiting for me. He was waiting to comfort me because I would quit trying to comfort myself in my own way. And God said, listen, if you'll come to a place of absolute surrender, he goes, I'll be the one that can be your comfort. I'll be the one that can be your strength. If you'll just trust me, I can rescue you and help you through this particular trial that you're facing. You know, same thing works with salvation. There are sometimes people, man, they'll, they'll just put it off. They'll say, no, I, I can do this. I got this. I, I'm going to make it. I'm going to fake it till I make it. I, I'm going to trust my works. I'm going I'm to trust my own morality. I'm going to trust whatever it is. And God says, you know what? When you come to the place where you come to the end of yourself and you just give up like the prodigal son and you say, you know what? I, I can't do this anymore. That's when God says, boom, I'm going to save you. So let me ask you a question. What kind of trial are you going through? Who are you trusting? Are you depending upon yourself? Are you learning that, that really the trial that you're going through is more than what you can bear, but it's not more than what He can bear? See, God wants you to put 100% trust in Him and not in yourself. And that's when you start to experience the truth that will set you free, set you free from you and the self-deception that you got this, that you can say, you know what? I can trust in God who raises the dead. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Momentum Life podcast. To find out more about Momentum Church, visit MomentumChurchAZ.com.